Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 69 of the Showbound Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Raskin, here alongside Ethan Cardwell. And uh, I'll just start it off. We, we've been gone for two weeks. It's been busy for both of us. And um, Cardsy, we're battling the flu and stuff, right? So um, we're, we're back. We're, we're happy to be back. Big episode. And uh, Cards, how you doing? Yeah, man, I was just about to say that. I was just like, I'm just super happy to be back, like talking on the air a little bit, you know, catching up. Obviously, it's always a pleasure to talk to Mikey Rask and, and our guest every week. But no, it's just like, it feels like I had, you're not connected to like the fan base and stuff when we're not putting out an episode. And don't worry, we're not, we're not doing it on purpose. I, I had the brutal flu. I had to miss two games last week because of it. And, I was just in bed sick and throwing up everything I had in my body. So it was a tough week. And then, you know, it's, it's a hectic around playoff time, kind of coming down the home stretch here. Lots of games, Jeez, lots of stuff going on. Oh, and you're vibrating in the mic. Yeah. I'm, I'm a busy man. Like I, we're just saying how busy we are. Right. So <laughs> um, got a lot on the go, but no, it's, it, it's good to be back. Um, hopefully we can find some normalcy here. Um, and heading into playoff time, especially, uh, you get you get a few more days here and there. It's not uh, games every single day then, so should be good. And uh, I'm excited to keep rolling here. Yeah. Now, uh, I will say because your your playoff run, um, you're probably gonna be playing every other day, I imagine, right? Yeah. So it's normally like typically the OHL players go, yeah, like game because so, like yeah. it'll be more condensed than a, a typical year, I, I imagine. Uh, I think it's the same, honestly. I think it's game because it's always been like that. It's always been game rest, game rest, game rest. So you get 14 days to finish a series, I'm pretty sure. Well, I was going to say it, it might get real hectic for you timing-wise with the podcast. Like I, I, I hope we don't have to miss another week, but I wouldn't be shocked. Just even like through our playoffs, which we weren't playing as many games, just mm-hmm. mixing in the, the midweek games got so – complicated um timing wise for me so hopefully we can we can keep it working out but yeah we're we're back and and i guess we can let's throw it back to like two weeks ago where i left off with with the the brock team because we hadn't even we were in the second round at that point when we recorded last and then we ended up winning that third round game against ryerson um which if you go to the finals so winning that third round game you clinch a berth in nationals and then we played for the Queen's Cup, which is the Ontario Championship or OUA Championship, because there's Quebec teams in the league, which we lost unfortunately to Trois Rivières University du Quebec à la Trois Rivières UQTR or something, um, who who then went on to be the national champion. So we lost to the best, but we we went on this crazy playoff run. We we go into this third round game, Cards and Ryerson, packed house. Like we we were on the road. They they fill it all the way, and we just dominated them like we won 5-2 in the game but it wasn't even close like um mm-hmm. it was such a sick win and uh yeah it was it was cool and then this UQTR team is no joke man when we played them in the finals they're so good like every single one on, on their team like they're they're all five-year Q guys like you know they have guys close to 100 points in the Q on their team and um their goalies drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks Alexi Gravel who's nasty um so they they were they were no joke and they beat us three one. It was even a close game, like three one in the final. Like we were right there, man. Um, yeah. So well, yeah, uh, it, it's great for you guys. Like I mean, you went on such a good run, and it was kind of unexpected. Like to be honest, like I, I didn't expect you guys to kind of do what you did, and it was incredible for you there. But yeah, like you're playing against guys, a full team of QMJHL guys. There probably isn't a single guy who played junior A and. You look at half your roster, it's it's junior A, junior B guys and stuff like that. And it, it's it's a testament to your team and your coaches. And uh, it's funny you say that because this week uh, our guest is one of your coaches there. But, um, no, like I I think it, it shows that you guys kind of put the right pieces and the puzzle together to kind of create the right team this year. And it, it's going to be good for years going forward. Now, I think with uh, the reputations Brock has been building kind of with uh, championship culture there. So yeah. it's super, super good for you guys. Kudos to you on the run. And I'm sure 
And I know you guys had a ton of fun in Halifax. It looked like a great time. <laughs> Halifax? Okay, Halifax is like one of the best. It, it's my favorite city in Canada that I've ever been to anyway. It is so cool and it's beautiful. It's, it's on the water, good casino, a lot of good food. The, the seafood's incredible there. You're a seafood guy, right? Love seafood. Yeah, dude. It was like, I we went to this place. I forget what it was called, but it's right on the water. They have like this beautiful boardwalk area on the water with like cool lights and stuff. And they just hang the the lobster catcher things like right right off the dock, and they pull them out fresh lobster for you. They bring it in. You get to like pick which one you want. They just kill it right in front of you. <laughs> That's incredible, <laughs> it's, it's man. Fresh, it's fresh. And, fresh. And I had I had mussels and stuff, which I don't love, and, and fresh oysters and all that, like which I also don't love. But you got to have it all when you're there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, Halifax was cool, and like I said, UQTR went on to win the national championship over Alberta, the Alberta Golden mm-hmm. Bears, and. They had a guy, Alberta already had a guy signed in the NHL with, with Edmonton, Noah Philp, whose brother who played there signed NHL deal with Calgary. And th- this Alberta team, someone told me everyone on their team is a former captain in the WHL, which is crazy. There's um, no way. I, well, I went through the first six or seven names on the roster and those ones were, I, I man, like these guys, were, I don't know if all of them were, I, I bet more than like 10 or 11, maybe even more, almost 15 of them were like just based on going through their roster and some of the names. They, they were crazy. Even they dominated in the national championship game. They outshot UQTR like 70 to 30 or something. But UQTR wow. got it done in double overtime. Alexi Gravel, 66 saves. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yeah, I guess anything can happen in those one game events. And I wanted to kind of talk about the NCAA championships too. I don't know if you followed along, but also single game elimination. And everyone had high hopes for the Michigan team. and a few former guests of the pod on that team. So I was rooting for them as well. Yes, But um, they do. I'm not going to lie. Like these Michigan people and they're, they're sick. They're like personalities, but dude, I see them on TikTok and stuff. And like, they look so cocky. Do they not? Yeah. Even boards. Like we had, yeah, boards like, he's all over my for you page. It's so funny, man. I, I, I love it. It's good swagger, but yeah, I get, I can see how some people might think it's a little bit cocky, but they, they back it up for the most part. Oh yeah, they do. Like yeah. they were they had an unbelievable season. Den- Denver won it all, we'll say. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it, lo- it looked sick. Like, did you see any of the videos and pictures after they won and stuff? Oh, yeah. It looks incredible. And just like the arena, they were playing at, uh, they were at TD Garden, right? Yeah. And sold out crowd. You're, you're a college kid playing in front of that. And the, the sellies are insane. The crowd's just going mental. And, yeah, it's it's a pretty cool experience, and yeah, like we we were just talking about this Michigan team. We might add Denver knocked them out in the semifinal in uh, in a game that Denver kind of took it to them, and then Minnesota State um, knocked out Minnesota in the other semifinal game to leave uh, Minnesota State versus Denver, and then uh, ultimately uh, Denver went on to win in this year's national championships. Yeah, it's it's cool. I I hope, man, so badly. I really hope that you guys, the Colts, you go to the Mem Cup this year. It it would be so cool, even if you guys don't win that. But like winning the OHL and like getting to the Mem Cup, it it would be so nasty, man. And I know you've been on good teams, like that team in Saginaw. You guys were right there. Um, mm-hmm. It it would be sick. And you know, now that I'm back home, I'm gonna be I'm gonna start ripping Colts games all the time. It's it's gonna be a good. Yeah. Time. So let, let's talk about the Colts a bit. So you guys you guys have been on a skid. Now I will say because you can't really say it yourself personally for you, you've been lighting it up. Now team wise, you guys have, have been struggling. And I know Marty was saying you guys have like seven regular guys out of the lineup and stuff, and Goose does out. And like, do you want to just talk about what's going on with the Colts as you guys heading down the stretch here? Yeah, like I mean, it's I think we're a sneaky five seed, and I've said that to a bunch of people. Like I, I think we're a good team. Um, we get Gusta, who, in my opinion, is the best goalie in the OHL back. And that's obviously a huge help for, for any team to kind of get a player of that caliber back. And, you know, throughout the whole season, I, I've missed a ton of games. Um, Brand Clark has missed upwards of 10, I think. Um, Declan McDonald, another NHL draft pick, has missed games. We just – he missed about 10 we got Forster just coming back to our team, an NHL first-round pick, 
and he's just getting his feet wet. So he's kind of found his way now. I think he's hit full stride and he looks great out there as well. So we've had so many guys miss so many games. Evan Veerling and other guys missed a ton of games. We're, we're pulling more guys back from the injured reserve too, as we come along. So I think it's only looking up for us. I can hope, um, it's just a matter of if we can uh, pull it all together and uh, do it when it matters most in the playoffs here. So it's going to be a big week here. Kind of, we have three games that don't mean too much, but um, just to, just to prepare and work on our habits and kind of continue to uh, commit to the process. So when playoffs comes around, we're, we're ready to go. Yeah. It'll be exciting. And yeah, like, like you said, whether you came fifth, first, eighth, when teams see the Colts in the playoffs, like it's not a matchup that they're going to be excited about, you know, wherever you guys mm -hmm. ended up. Like, so, you, you know, you guys are a really good team, especially like when you're all healthy and in the lineup. Um, I guess moving on to, uh, I, I think I said it last podcast or whatever, but the whole, the whole basement flood thing where I lost all my hockey equipment and all that <laughs> stuff. So update on that. I got all new gear, um, got everything new and I'm going to be on the ice tomorrow for the first time checking it all out and just trying it all on it, it felt so bad like I, I hadn't had new gear in a long time and I liked I liked the stuff I had like I got new pants helmets like gloves that sort of stuff but I mean like my shin pads um like my elbow pads chest pads that stuff putting it all on it's so different like the equipment now and I don't like it. it's one thing getting one new piece of equipment and you know you break it in but getting all the new equipment at the same time and sticks like it's so <laughs> strange so i'm hopping on the ice for two hours just by myself i'm, I'm gonna just wheel around skate and see mm -hmm. how that goes but have you ever been in that situation like maybe when you come to the o did you get all new gear and stuff yeah for the actually no i i kind of wore funny thing is i've been wearing the same like shoulder pads since shoulder pads since like major bantam same shoulder pads so they're broken in like they're beat up and stuff um same shin pads since minor bantam they're small too i'm sure once once i hopefully get to pro one day they're i've already been told that i won't be allowed to wear those anymore <laughs> so uh <laughs> have to change that up but no i i've i've been pretty fortunate to keep my gear intact there's been a lot of sewing and stuff done because i love my gear so much like you said that um anything i can do to save my gear i'll do but i had to wear uh new shin pad or new elbow pads sorry because my elbow pads were so small i yeah. fell on the ice one time so like i was on the back check and i felt like i made a dive to make the play or something fell banged my elbow and my elbow pads aren't even big enough to cover my elbow so i get a bunch of stitches right here and they're like what are you doing like why are you even wearing elbow pads if you if they're not going to protect your elbow so then i had to wear new ones and they're huge and I was just, the new ones are massive now it's yeah crazy. they're huge I'd never see them. I, I go and buy them. I'm like, is there any smaller ones? And I put them on. I can't even move my arms. Yeah, I know. You got to oh maybe God. even, maybe just start drenching them in water and just bending them around. That's what I always do with my new gear. And like, especially gloves, man. Gloves are so hard to break into. So I just snap them back and tape them up and leave them overnight. I don't know. There's a bunch of tricks that trade that uh, yeah. you could do to break this stuff in. Yeah. And then even my golf clubs, like I have to get my golf clubs regripped and a new bag, which I was sending you bags back and forth asking yeah. which one's nice and which one's not nice and stuff. If, if I'm being honest with you, I wouldn't even worry about regrip and I'd just get rid of those. No, but I, I can't, I'd have to pay for them myself, but the insurance would pay for them to get re because the clubs aren't broken, just the grips are damaged. Okay. So regrip and then sell them and then get a real set. Maybe, yeah. Well, this year I'm gonna start. Very How was your round yesterday, by the way? Yes, I was just gonna mention that actually. Golf season is upon us, um, and yeah, it's always nice to get out, man. Like, soon as the weather gets about fourteen, or as soon as the weather gets about eight, above eight, everyone starts to get the itch to go out. So I was talking with the guys, and we're like, "Hey, like off day, let's let's get a tee time." So we went out for nine holes and. It was a lot of fun, man. Just to see the ball soar through the air again, it's it's nice. And uh, you hit some crummy shots, you hit some great shots, and it keeps you coming back. So I think I might even uh, head there after uh, after practice today, or or the range at least to to hit some balls. So it, it was so good. And w when are you getting out for the first time? Once I get my bag, which I think is going to be Friday, 
Um, because mm-hmm. right now all my ba- all my clubs are in a garbage bag in my car, so I'm carrying the garbage bag with my balls and tees around the course. Yeah, it's <laughs> Once I get my bag, I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna try to go uh, two times a week, and but I'm gonna hit the range like at least once a week as well. Um, yeah. And this is my summer. This is the summer I have to really improve. So that's kind of the goal. We'll see. We'll we'll get out for sure soon once you're back. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I also I did want to. Okay, actually, before even we move on, I want to mention because we just touched on the guest Jerome Dupont earlier. Um, not only our coach at Brock, but former NHL player with the Chicago Blackhawks and Toronto Maple Leafs, and we'll get that to you guys soon. But because uh, one of the guys JD played with. Doug Wilson, who we played with in Chicago, is stepping down or did step down as the GM of San Jose, obviously, who drafted Cardsy. So um, do you have any thoughts on that, Cards? Yeah, I just want to wish Doug all the best. Um, he's been nothing but amazing to me. I haven't only met him less than a handful of times and super nice man and uh, obviously a great hockey player in his day, and he's done an amazing job with the Sharks organization. So sad to see him go but uh wishing him all the best yeah and uh yeah couldn't have said it better myself I totally agree so that that's a, a tough situation man especially mid-season too and it's just even harder mentally on him because I know he cares about the team so much mm-hmm. um but uh one thing I want to say before we kind of send it over to the interview I was I was driving by you ever seen this you drive on the 400 and you see the double bubble factory on the side of the road yeah yeah <laughs> i was i was thinking um like double bubble fell off hard like was it not the best gum when we were growing up yeah yeah like, people would give you but double you, bubble and no one's giving you double bubble now i still have double bubble all the time before games and during warm-up okay because they blow the biggest bubble but you run out of taste in 20 seconds yeah, it's gone in 20 seconds. And I like it for the jokes, though. I always find the jokes pretty good. Like, or I, not even the jokes. The jokes kind of get a little bit old, but like the uh, the facts on them are pretty cool. Give, give us a double bubble fact. Rome, Italy was the first city in the world to hit a million population. Okay, there you go. I, I didn't know they have facts on there. Um, yeah, they so have facts. Smarter on the now. <laughs> Pretty cool. So for all the people listening, there you go. You just got a double bubble or a cards fact. You choose. Yeah, I'll make it a cards fact. What what's like? Okay, give us like three three top gums, not necessarily in any order, but you got any like top gums? <sighs> okay, first big league chew. Oh yeah, you know, only get it in the states. Um, and then five gum. Yeah, I was thinking five five gum and then i don't know maybe just a simple dentine just pop it out put it in the car it's always sitting in the console yeah. or maybe a trident like a flavor of trident i don't know you ever have the icebreakers oh that's good that's actually i was okay never mind third mentos gum yeah okay mm-hmm. um what about i was just thinking too <laughs> so i'm getting way sidetracked but we'll, we'll get it back to the interview in a sec but juicy fruit's another one that kind of fell off yeah, well, you, it loses flavor quick too. It, but it was like a top gum when we were kids. Like juicy yeah. fruit was like everywhere. Anyway, return of the return of the old gum. So that'll be the, the name bring of this them back? podcast episode. <laughs> um. So we'll send it to the interview after the interview. I think we'll talk a bit about the Masters. We got to talk hundred percent. And then uh, so stick around and and yeah. With that being said, we'll send it over now to Jerome Dupont. So we are pleased to be joined now by Jerome Dupont, JD our coach at Brock this year who worked with me. So, I mean, first, before we kind of get into your career and, and all that and some good stories, JD, how'd you find coaching at, at the university level? You know, it, it was uh, a refreshing change. Um, it's the highest level I've coached at. I've coached a major junior and many years a junior, um, but um, to be associated with men, you know, that are, uh, very talented and very intelligent. It made for uh, a very, very pleasant experience, you know, void of the COVID stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually, I'm real close with a few of the guys on the team. So I want to get your thoughts as a coaching perspective on uh, Rochi and Gaylor. Yeah, good, good, uh, good question. Um, well, Rochi was a standout all year. Um, you know, he uh, gave it his best shift in, shift out. Uh, was good at both ends of the ice and played in all situations. So he was a key guy for us. He, um, you know, has a tendency to to want to do it all, all the time. You know, so I said to him, sometimes 
you know, less is more, uh, you know, and he's heard that from me a few times, but uh, all in all, like he was, he was amazing and one of our best players for sure. Um, Gaylor uh, Cameron, uh, real good player, uh, really skilled, um, smart kid. Uh, unfortunately didn't get to play too, too much. So I'm sure he wasn't, um, you know, overly enthused about his, his contribution because he wasn't really given the opportunity, but I think there's uh, there's only you know um, brighter brighter days ahead for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a good exit meeting chat, and I think uh, you know if he's given more of an opportunity, he'll he'll produce uh, like Rochi. Yeah, well, let's hope Rochi's not listening, or his head's going to be huge in the summer. Um, but uh, okay. so we're gonna we're gonna send it back and now kind of start going through your career here. And you played in the OHL for the Toronto Marlboros, and uh, how did how did you find your time there, and how was it? playing junior hockey in the Maple Leaf Gardens. Yeah, it was, it was pretty special. Um, so uh, drafted as an underage from the Ottawa area, played for Gloucester, the Gloucester Rangers um, in the third round. I think it was the third pick of the third round. Um, I, I was really fortunate in that um, at the time, uh, Toronto was in a rebuild and um, Bill White, former Team Canada 72 defenseman, was the, was the coach, the new coach. Um, so from the get-go, I, I got an opportunity to um, play five-on-five five and even penalty kill a bit, and I was partnered up with uh, Brian uh, Brian, McCaffrey, Brian McCaffrey, our captain, rest his soul. Unfortunately, he passed recently. Um, but um, it, was, it was a great experience from that perspective in that, um, you know, I got lots of, lots of ice time. And then when playoffs came around, played a little bit less, but dressed every game and uh, had a had – a, pretty good you know start to my junior career year one year two was able to uh, take it to the next level new coach Dave Chambers uh, reputable uh, we had a, a real strong team that year with guys like Stuart Gavin and Jim Poplinski and you know go down the list uh, some guys that had good NHL careers uh, Greg Gilbert um, and, but I think we we underachieved a bit in terms of uh, the playoffs. Uh, year one, it wasn't you know we weren't expected to do much, and we you know we lost on the first round. But in in the second year, I think if I'm not mistaken, we lost in the first round, or if you didn't, it would have been the second. And I think uh, there you know the expectations were a lot higher. Um, year three, uh, which was in essence you know my my draft year, um, I I had a really good year at both ends of the ice and and parlayed that into getting drafted in the first round of Chicago. <laughs> and then the following year went and uh, uh, played for a bit. Um, actually, sorry, I'm <laughs> chronologically, I'm off a little bit. It was after the second year. It was my, in essence, my draft year, got drafted, but played another year of junior. And then the following year as a 19 year old played in, played in the show 36 games. And then at the tail end of that uh, season got sent down, to finish off the career with the Marlies, <clears throat> but that was, that was great. And, you know, you talk about uh, a great experience playing at, at the highest level. Um, I, you know, I don't think I was quite ready to, to be, uh, you know, a solid player yet. Um, maybe it was a little too much too fast, but having said that it was still an amazing experience. And, um, you know, it was, <laughs> you know, exact, pardon me, exactly what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, like we'll we'll get into Chicago, and I know there's a lot of cool stories from there. But even just your NHL draft, can you talk about um, how your NHL draft went, how it all went down the moment you were picked? Well, I'll tell you, it's not, <laughs> Mike. It's not like uh, it, it is today. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie. I think I was cutting the lawn at home. The draft was in Montreal, and uh, I got a call from my agent, Bill Waters, and uh, he said, "Hey." congratulations, you know, you've been selected in the first round to Chicago, you know, 15th overall, which, you know, was amazing. And I was super excited. I mean, I like the Blackhawks a lot. Um, you know, Boston was another favorite team, like the Leafs as well. But um, it wasn't like today where, you know, your whole entourage is there, family, friends, your agent, uh, you know, you might've experienced that, Ethan. Uh, in my case, uh, it was it was a lot different, but you know it wasn't any less special. Uh, it's just it was different. Yeah, and uh, well, actually, Cardsy, funny enough, his story. He was out uh, caddying for his brother in a golf tournament when he got drafted. Um, oh. So it, it was quite the story. But we've told it on here a couple of times. But uh, I'm curious, going back, uh, it was the 1980 NHL draft, and 
did they have like were GMs calling you for interviews and that sort of stuff like they do now at that point? Um, you know, they they didn't interview us. Um, although I had a real good idea of where I sat in terms of the pecking order, potentially being picked. I was more or less picked where I was projected to go. Uh, we were fortunate in Chicago in that uh, we had two first round picks, and the uh, the first pick, third overall, was Dennis Savard. Um, so it was, uh, you know, successful draft, you know, just by virtue of Dennis alone, but over and above, um, in that exact same draft, there was, uh, Steve Ludzik, uh, Steve Larmer, Randy Boyd, um, uh, D- uh, Dan Frawley, um, I believe Troy Murray as well. So seven guys that, um, that, uh, had good, you know, NHL careers drafted in that same draft. And, uh, that was the year actually. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, where they combined the 18 and 19 year olds together. Um, so it, uh, uh, it, I believe that's what it was 1980. Yes. Because Dennis Savard is a year older. So, um, so when you think about it, I mean, there was guys getting drafted in the sixth round and it was only six rounds at the time, I believe uh, that were, you know, guys that had great NHL careers. So, uh, but we were very fortunate to have, as many good players as we did selected and, um, and it really uh, laid the foundation for a number of good years to come, uh, you know, with, with those guys I mentioned and and obviously others. Yeah. And then, like you said, you go to Chicago and kind of, you step on the ice with guy, like you said, Dennis Savard um, and the list goes on here, Daryl Sutter, Bob Murray, Tony Esposito, Doug Wilson, Mark Bergevin, and many more. So, what are, what are kind of your thoughts going into the National Hockey League um, from junior hockey? And it's a step up and you're hitting the ice with the kind of players of those caliber. Um, was it was it eye opening at first? Oh, for sure. You know, from from the uh, from the plane ride into Chicago and the cab ride to the hotel, you know, that alone had never seen, you know, such a massive city. Uh, you know, that alone was intimidating. Um and then, you know, when, once you finally hit the ice, you know, you're doing two a days and yeah, you're in good shape, no doubt. Uh, it was a bit of a changing of the guard at the time. You know, the old school was you came, you came to camp to get in shape. And then with the younger players like myself um, and, and most, you know, pretty well everybody, you know, the, the difference was the younger guys were in shape prior to camp, whereas the older guys would come to camp to get in shape. So it was real interesting, you know, that dynamic alone. Uh, but it was uh, really competitive, um, you know, had a really good camp. But, you know, I was naive to think as an 18-year-old I was going to make the team. I thought I was, but then I got sent back to junior. And initially, you know, that shock uh, made for some pretty average play at the junior level because you're uh, maybe maybe don't realize it, but you're, you might be a little bit depressed and whatnot. And and then I, uh, it's funny because uh, Bob Pulford came, GM and head coach at the time, came and watched one of my games. Uh, or he was the gem at the time and, and the guy that selected me, I guess you could say. And he said, you know, p- you know, pick your socks up, son, because you know, if you don't, you won't be playing in Chicago next year. That's for sure. Kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I was bound and determined from that point onward to not let him down, I guess, and not let myself down for that matter. And then made the team the following year. But as an 18 year old, frankly, you know, even though you think you had a good camp, I mean, you're truly not ready. I mean, you know, if you're Sidney Crosby, maybe, but uh, you know, I was so far from that, uh, you know, not, not the case for me, but uh, definitely intimidating, but not, not, um, you know, not, 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 not a lot of fear, you know, I think more just nerves more than anything else. And you mentioned um, showing up to camp, the older guys kind of show up out of shape and stuff like that. So what, uh, what age or how many years in a league before you can kind of take the off season and hang out and then get in shape at camp? When, when does that kind of switch? Well, you know, I, I don't think it ever switched from that point onward. Um, but, you know, to, just to give you an idea, I mean, I was 18 and our oldest player at the time was, I think, Tony O at the time. He was at least 37. So that's, you know, that's a more than a, a generation, you know, uh, apart. Um, but uh, it, it was interesting, you know, you'd see Savard going up and down the ice. Um, I, I use an analogy, you know, he, he was playing on a line with John Marks, which was one of the older players. And, you know, Savvy would get the puck at the blue line. Marks would be at the red line. Uh, or, or, or let's say, you know, Savvy would be at the top of the circle. John Marks would be roughly at the, at the you know, defensive blue line. And by the time they got to the offensive blue line, you know, Savard was ahead of him. Okay. And then on the back check, 
if Marxy decided he'd back check, um, you know, it would be the same thing. You know, Marx would be closer to the puck initially on the back check and then Savard would speed by him, you know, to catch up. Uh, so it was it was interesting. But, I, I you know, I, I don't think from that point onward anybody uh, was able to really kind of take uh, the time off in the in the summer, you know, and then just come to camp to get in shape. However, um, you know, obviously when you're an established guy, maybe you don't go as hard as when you're a younger guy trying to prove yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, like some legends, like you said, on those Chicago teams. And I know you've told me a couple stories here and there. Um, one of them that stood out to me, there was a bar fight story. Um, do, can you share that one with us? Well, you know, one of the players, um, you know, was was kind of instigating things um, and nobody was looking to get in a in a fight. But uh, one did bro- break out. Uh, you know, those aren't necessarily uh, proud, proud moments, but, you, you know, you've obviously got your teammates backs when that happens. Fortunately, there was, I think, about seven of us there at the time. So, um, you know, you just you just help each other out. But the last thing you want to do is create controversy and get in trouble but sometimes you know trouble follows you around right <laughs> was was there any any uh like notable off-ice stories without getting anybody in trouble like anything funny going on uh that you could share well initiation was kind of interesting you know um uh my uh girlfriend at the time was in the stands we were practicing out of chicago stadium and at the end of practice uh you know guys kind of surrounded me and they brought a chair on the ice and uh you know, uh, you know, left me, left me, uh, uh, let's just say with my underwear on for, for now, taped to the chair. And then everybody kind of left the ice, you know, for my girlfriend to see me at center ice. And then they came out and, and, you know, let, <laughs> let me get out of the, uh, the trap, so to speak. But, you know, it, it was, it was harmless. It was fun. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, there's a lot of stories, some, some of which I really can't share, you know, I just can't. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. So those are the best ones though. Um, how about, you know, you, you, you mixed it up a bit on the ice too, and you, you got in a couple of tilts. Was, was there anybody you would uh, play against? Like you had an on ice rivalry with personally? Yeah, there were for sure. I, you know, it's interesting. Um, I got beat up uh, my, my um, rookie year in junior at the very tail end of it. And, and then at that point, and I said to myself, you know, that'll never happen again. So I boxed all summer and then, for junior hockey, and I honestly don't think I lost another fight in junior. However, when you get to the pros, it's a whole different story. And, uh, well, you know, in our division, there was, uh, you know, Detroit and you had Probert and Kosher. And, you know, if, you know, it's kind of, you know, pick your poison kind of thing. So I, I fought Kosher a number of times and he had to be the hardest puncher I've ever faced. Um, you know, I, I don't really believe that if you're a fighter, you need to take a punch, you know, to to be a good fighter. Like I never, never believed in that. I think it's kind of a the cement head way of thinking about it. Um, but, uh, you know, our division was tough. You know, I mean, uh, you had Mike Richter in, in Minnesota and a whole pile of guys there. And, you know, you had uh, Brian Sutter and company, Perry Turnbull in St. Louis. And you had, uh, you know, Wendell Clark in Toronto and, and other tough guys there. Um, we, we were really deep team in terms of the toughness, um, you know, and this was at the tail end of the broad street bullies. So, uh, you know, fighting was still very much part of the game. Um, but I think one of the reasons I made the team as a 19 year old, I, I, I fought, you know, Al Secor twice in training camp just to kind of, you know, um, let people know that I meant business and I wasn't planning on going home, you know, um, uh, but, uh, you, you know, you, you win some, you lose some, you take your licks and, uh, you know, um, try to stay away from those super, super tough guys. But sometimes, uh, sometimes you can't, sometimes that follows you around as well. Is is there any fight that like sticks out in your career that, that was just like against it? I don't know anybody or anyone in particular that was just like, wow, that was, that was one that I really remember. Uh, well, I got knocked out, uh, you know, in front of our net once. It's the only time I've ever knocked out in a fight by Jamie McCowns. So I think that one's memorable. Although I, <laughs> I, I got up within about uh, two seconds and wanted to go back at it. But uh, by then the trainer was on the ice and I wasn't allowed to. But, uh, you know, give him credit. He hit me square. Um, you know what? The best fight, best fight I ever uh, saw wasn't a fight that I was in. It was uh, uh, Wendell Clark and Ben Wilson in, in Maple Leaf Gardens uh, going toe-to-toe from our net front all the way down to the far end uh, and just constantly, you know, pounding each other. I mean, it was probably the best fight I've, I've ever seen. Uh, it'd be, you know, good to get a, 
a video of that one. Uh, but Wendell, you know, who, who throws him with both hands, um, you know, came at Ben, you know, pretty, pretty quickly. And Ben, I don't think was ready for the onslaught and, you know, 15 punches in, you know, he kind of woke up, but by then he was a little drowsy, but you know, he, he was tough as nails for sure. And, and, uh, you know, got back on track, but if I had to give anybody a slight edge in that one, I think uh, it would have been Wendell. Um, you know what? I mean, fought Willie Platt a lot. There was probably a, a couple of good tilts with Willie Platt. Um, you know, and, you know, the, the ironic thing is, you, you know, you see him at the bar after and you joke around about it, but it wasn't like we're, you know, your buddies or anything like that, but it was just the way of the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just curious too, all, going back off the ice from your time in Chicago and Toronto, or even in the minors as well. Like, was there any good pranks that stick out? Like a good prank story? Well, there's the the old liniment in your jock, and you know, tape on tape on the bottom of your skates. You know, uh, you know, and you don't realize it. Um, there was one funny one. Uh, I, I won't necessarily uh, mention names, but uh, there was a, a really funny one whereby uh, we had one of our coaches roast the players at an awards banquet. And, uh, then, uh, and, and it, it got pretty, pretty personal in terms of the, uh, roasting, uh, you know, during the banquet. So a few players are really, really upset. Well, one of the upset parties basically, uh, you know, um, was, we were skating around beginning of practice and he, and he rifled the puck, uh, you know, uh, head high down the ice and it just so happened to hit, you know, the coach that was uh, roasting the players in the back of his head and, you know, send them the ice and, uh, you know, and then he got up wondering who the hell did it and, and nobody fessed up to it. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess uh, you get what you deserve. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, times have definitely changed. I don't, I don't know how that would fly today in, in this day and age, but um, moving on to the, to the Leafs and, how, how did you end up as a Maple Leaf? Was it a uh, trade or free agency? Uh, neither. Um, the, it's the only uh, compensation deal uh, at, at the time. Um, in fact, I, I, the wording right now I'm just escapes me, but it, it was a compensation deal. So what happened was in the offseason, uh, Chicago signed um, Gary Nyland. And, um, you know, Toronto didn't want to lose Gary Nyland. He was a you know big tough defenseman, six four strapping kid from Western uh, Western Canada, and um, so what ended up what ended up happening is that um, uh, obviously Toronto objected. It went to an arbitrator. So that's the word I was looking for. So it, 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 and that's never happened in the history of the game again. I believe uh, not not in this particular way. So what happened was is Chicago had to submit a list of five players. Um, to uh, Toronto um, to compensate for the loss of Gary Nyland. And at the end of the day, um, it was Ken Uremchuk and myself that were selected. And that's how uh, we ended up in uh, Toronto. But the, the irony of it all is uh, the owner of the Leafs at the time, Harold Ballard, probably didn't want either one of us. You know, he was just really pissed off that he lost, you know, a, a Gary Nyland. Now, having said that, you know, Gary... Gary was a good player, not not crazy ass, fantastic or anything like that, but he had a, a knee issue, so his career was cut a bit short. Um, and, anyway, so you know, it was it wasn't a great experience to be with the Leafs. You know, only played a handful of games. Yaremchuk uh, uh, played more, but at the end of the day, um, uh, spent some time in Newmarket. I mean, obviously loved Toronto because that's where I played junior. Considered that my home anyway. Um, got you know got married before that to a you know Toronto girl. Um, so at the end of that year, I, I decided to retire, you know, I didn't, uh, uh, didn't want to do anymore, but now, you know, you wouldn't do that today. Uh, average NHL wage is 4 million us back then average NHL wage was 175 us. So it made, um, the decision not that difficult. I, I was making more, making more money outside of hockey at the time. So, um, I just decided that, uh, enough was enough, but I mean, yeah, it was, it's something that's in the history books. So, you know, I don't know if it's great. It's just the way it was. Yeah, for sure. And you got to, you got to play with Rick five and Wendell Clark. And a lot of people always wonder what, what kind of guys were those guys on and off the ice? Yeah. Uh, good question. I mean, Wendell's arguably the toughest guy that's ever played in my opinion, uh, or amongst the tough, toughest guys. Like he was pound for pound, just a beast. And he played so hard. I mean, it wasn't just with his fists, you know, like he, 
he'd hammer you with some some of those you know big hits that you've probably all seen on on replays um i mean rick um was a different player you know he was more of a finesse player uh, obviously had the knack knack of scoring kind of neat to see uh you know austin matthews surpass him you know um but i mean rick held the you know the gold scoring the leaf goal scoring record for years and years and you know for good reason i mean he could uh he could shoot you know i, I guess in his day very similar to to um, Matthews, but in a different way, you know, more slap shots than, you know, the way uh, Matthews scores with, you know, the quick release snapshot, but uh, um, you know, he would typically go, go down the wing and, and, and tee it up and, and, and he scored a lot of goals that way, but uh good player um, captain, you know, leadership skills were, were okay. Uh, I wouldn't say fantastic. You know, I thought, a, you know, Daryl Sutter in Chicago was a, was a, was an even better leader, I guess, but um I mean, Rick was a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. And going back to Chicago quickly, and how did it feel kind of? Obviously, you spent quite a bit of time, the team that drafted you there. So what were your initial thoughts when you when you had to leave Chicago? Was it uh, Were you looking forward to being a Leaf, or, or was it uh, a little bit upsetting? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great question, Ethan. Um, you know, it, it's, it's unsettling is what it is. Um, you know, because I, you know, I had, rental properties I owned, I, you know, set up a chain of dry cleaners and all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, and sure, you know, in the hockey, obviously that was the priority, but um, you know, now you having to leave, you, you know, you just had a new house built, um, you know, uh, out in Wheaton um, and, you know, it's, it's unsettling. I mean, the good thing was you're coming to a team that you, you know, you really liked and, and uh, Toronto, you were very familiar with. Um, I would have thought that it would have been a little, a little bit better, um, you know, in terms of opportunity, but, um, it is what it is. Um, so, but I, I think any way you cut it, you know, whether you like where you're going or not, in my case, I did, um, it, it's still unsettling and, and difficult to deal with, you know, one day you're here and then the next day you're there. I mean, I found out about it in the off season though. So that helped in terms of transitioning and moving and getting organized. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious as well, just from your time, uh, with the Leafs, was there any, any interesting stories, like even about your coaches or anything like that, that you can share as, as a Maple Leaf? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, well, John Brophy was the coach at the time, and he was quite the live, li- quite the live wire. And uh, he, uh, you know, he, uh, you could tell when he was getting mad. Is you know, the the complexion changed from you know white to uh, uh, a you know pinkish red. You know, you knew he was uh, getting upset, but. You know, he'd, <laughs> he'd throw stuff around in the dressing room and break sticks. And, and you know, he was uh, quite theatrical, um, for sure. Uh, but, I, you know, one of the funny stories uh, I have with regards to him is, you know, he was teaching us at the net front how to clear, you know, how to box guys out and how to clear the net. And, uh, you know, you know you'd, you'd get, you know, three penalties, uh, you know, in one fell swoop, if you did it the way, you know, he wanted us to do it then, you know, which was cross check, you know, poke the guy behind uh, the knee and, you know, slash him, uh, you know, slash his ankles or top of his feet, you know, so you know, that's kind of, it was kind of, I mean, it's, it's funny now at the time, you know, he, he, he picked one of the guys, fortunately it wasn't me. And he, he basically showed, showed what he wanted done, you know, more or less at the net front, but um, it wasn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't hurt him, but it, it, you know, at the end of the day, it was uh, definitely old school for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe that's some, some tips you got as a coach. Cause I know some of the guys who you've coached have said, you know, you can, uh, also your face can go from white to red quick and you can, you can snap a couple times. So I want to talk about your coaching career. Like you end up having a post playing career, get into coaching and like you said, coached major junior in the QMJHL. So what was that like coaching major junior? And you had guys like uh, Paul Byron, JG Pajot on those teams. Like, um, how was that? Yeah. Some, some good players for sure. You know what? It was, it was awesome. Um, I'm originally from Ottawa. So Gatineau's like literally, you know, right, right across uh, the water there. Um, but uh, the Ottawa river, um, I had to brush up my French a bit. Um because you know it is a, a, a French environment. However, they they want you to speak English in terms of when you coach the game there, because English is you know the language of hockey, so to speak. At least that's the way they would put it. Um, 
So went in there, um, actually 20 games in, the team was 5-15, and 15, I believe. So I think my first game was uh, the 21st out of, a, I think, a 68-game schedule or 66-game schedule. And uh, I remember it vividly. So, so the, the good thing is we had a few days to practice before we played. So, you know, you, you're able to kind of start to um, change things a little bit in terms of, you know, systems, et cetera. Um, but anyway, I remember our first game and, you know, there was a lot of hype and we we're playing Montreal at home and we came out like gangbusters. And uh, Jake Allen was the goalie uh, for uh, Montreal and we're up three, nothing at the end of the first. And everybody thought, you know, we we're, you know, we were world beaters all of a sudden. And then, you know, before, you know, at the end of the game, you know, we lose six to three. Um, and then lost the next two games. What, what was really evident was not so much um, lack of talent. I mean, we, we did add some players. I, I picked up some guys, uh, helped pick up some guys from Ontario, so that helped. But what was really evident was the team was in brutal shape. Um, you know, did a beep test, you know, uh, uh, shortly thereafter taking over, and, and the guys, you know, would – pitter out at you know nine and nine and a half you know or, or some guys even even less than that so uh in terms of lengths um so not very good uh so you know with better conditioning adding a few players we were fortunate to add uh Alain Goulet who played for me uh in Aurora when we won the RBC so he went on to University of Nebraska Omaha on a scholarship um actually uh the same school as as my son and then um uh, we were we were able to pick him up, pluck him out of there, and, and get him to play for us in 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 Gatineau. So we were able to add quality players here there, and um, it really really made a difference. So lost the first three, and then uh, we went undefeated in the next eighteen. And in terms of um, um, our winning percentage uh, for you know the um, for the uh, balance of the year, we were third best in the whole league at that point. And the only two that were better than us were Drummondville, uh, Guy Boucher and uh, Shawinigan. And, and those two teams met in the league final. Um, so, you know, we were, you know, we were, I don't know if we were a contender, but we, we weren't a pretender anymore at that point. And then, you know, next, and, and Jean-Gabriel Pajot was on that team and a really good young player and, and Byron as well. Uh, the following year, I think it was safe to say that uh, the management didn't think we could win. So they decided to sell off at Christmas, but yet uh, our first seven games were on the road and we came out five and two and we were right in the top three, top three teams in the country. So I, I felt very differently. So uh, obviously that was a point of contention, you know, you know, when uh, ownership and management don't really want to win and, you know, your coach doesn't understand anything but winning, um, you know, it made it, uh, it made it challenging. And, you know, even though I was on a three-year deal, I left at the end of that year because it just didn't seem like our uh, philosophies were in sync. But um, having said that, it was a great experience. One of the key things though I, 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 I discovered was, um, um, you know, the players all like to say that they um, understood English. Uh, so you, you know, you talk to them, you know, in English, sometimes in French, but, you know, you just assume that when you spoke to them in English, they understood. And if they didn't understand, you, you know, you assume they'd ask the question. But uh, the reality is, is that, you know, we got to the year end prior to the playoffs and we're doing prep and, you know, we, we, we tested them with their knowledge, you know, in terms of systems and whatnot, you know, a little bit like some classroom work and whatnot. And uh, the reality is, is that, you know, most of them really didn't understand at all. And it was pretty amazing. You know, we had to, to really kind of fast track some learning there pre-playoff, you know, now understanding that, uh, you know, even though they say they understand, you know, they didn't necessarily understand. And I think it was more about, you know, understanding English, you know, their mother tongue being French. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we, we got a few fan questions here for you before we kind of wrap things up, but uh, we'll just get through these quick for you and, do you have a favorite and least favorite coach you have played for in your career? Yeah, I, I think uh, least favorite would have been uh, Orville Tessier. Um, and favorite would have been uh, Roger Nielsen. Okay. Um, interesting one here. I'm kind of curious on this as well. How did you guys train in the off season back then? Yeah, good question. Uh, just um, with regards to Roger, fortunately, we had him for three years, you know, and he was amazing first as a as an assistant coach, then a co-coach and then head coach. But he was really um, probably the the number one guy that uh, um, motivated me to get into coaching um, in terms of training. Um, honestly, I, I went at it hard, but, you know, 
we train like you train differently today than we did then. And, and you're, you know, your training is much more sophisticated than, than what we did. You know, we probably spent too much time squatting and bench pressing, you know, and, and there wasn't necessarily that uh, balance, you know, in your body. Um, you know, I was like pretty large, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, big, big biceps and stuff like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, um, probably, um, you know, made us more injury prone as well because of the way we trained and there wasn't that real balance, you know, um, that that's needed, uh, you know, and, and core and core and leg strength weren't necessarily the priority, you know, which, um, you know, should have been, but wasn't necessarily. So, you know, worked really hard a couple hours a, a day, five days a week, typically, and ran and biked and, and whatnot. Um, but, um, you know, it could have been a lot more intelligent about it, but at the time it was, you know, what was the cutting edge at the time? I mean, worked out at the fitness Institute, they had a high performance, um, uh, athletic, you know, training program with a focus on hockey players. I think I was one of the first to, to be part of it, but they were, they were great. Although, you know, they, they didn't know what they know today. Um, so definitely different. Yeah, and lastly here to wrap things up, uh, predictions on the Maple Leafs this year in the playoffs? Oh, God, that's a tough question. Um, I got a whole household of, of uh, diehard Leaf fans, and I, I, I love the Leafs, but, you know, my you know, alma mater, Chicago, is the team that I, I uh, root for more than anything else, and, you know, they're not very good this year and won't make the playoffs. The Leafs obviously will. Um, you know what? I'd like to think they're ready to take it to the, to the next level. Uh, to play their best when it matters most. Um, you know, I, I, I hope they're ready for that. Um, my sense is that, you know, their best players need to be prepared to sacrifice more if they're going to, uh, if they're going to be successful in the playoffs. And, um, you know, there's, there's other factors, you know, I, I love Campbell, but, you know, is he, is he going to, be at his best when, when he needs to be at his best. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I coached again, Sheldon Keith, good coach, you know, he's going to have to be as be- at his best as well. I mean, I think what's happened in the past is, you know, the line matching against has been, um, has been an issue, you know, and I, I think if you look at the Montreal series, um, you know, it was, it was difficult to get Marner and Matthews away from Montreal matches. And I think had they, they, they might have been more successful. But if they stay healthy, I'm bullish. You know, I think uh, they can go a long, long way. Uh, but um, I think that's, that's because they've hopefully learned that, you know, um, that, the, that the postseason is very different than the regular season. I'll give you a little anecdote relative to that. So I was sitting in the leaf box uh, midseason. I think it was the Calgary game, and Jimmy Jones, a former player, was there with me. And uh, – he comes over to me and he goes, Hey, uh, he goes, Hey JD, we're going to count the number of hits in the rest of this game. So it was the six minute mark. I think it was the Calgary game. I might be off, but it was a leaf game. <laughs> uh, anyway, for sure. And uh, you know, it's not like we had uh, too much to drink or anything like that, but uh, six minute mark of the uh, second period, 14 minutes left, obviously. And then the third period, he says, let's count the number of hits for the remainder of the game. And there wasn't one hit the remainder of the game. Um, so I thought that was pretty, uh, you know, telling because, you know, as well as I, you know, Ethan, you, you play the game, Mike, you've played, um, that there's no way that's going to happen in the playoffs. It'll be, you know, it'll be uh, 40 hits a period, you know, 20 each way, and, and it'll be relentless game in game out. And if you, you can't, uh, battle through it, um, then, uh, it's problematic. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely agree that they, they got to ramp up the intensity and their big dogs got to do it as well to kind of lead the charge in my opinion. But no, that's, that's all I got for you. And I just want to say thank you for taking the time. Really cool to hear uh, your stories and hear a little bit about uh, some older time hockey, uh, freshen up the, the younger ages on what it used to be like out there. <laughs> there you go. Well, thanks for having me. It's been, it's been a blast and uh, continued success with this podcast. I hear nothing but uh, great things. All right, I want to thank JD for that. Always cool hearing about old school stuff. And, you know, he, he was a, quite the player and he's quite the coach too. So um, good having him on the pod. And, and yeah, we got to talk about the Masters. It, was, uh, it, it wasn't as exciting of a, of, of a finish as normal, but still, nonetheless, like the Sunday was awesome. So what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, yeah, you got to give 
Scotty all the credit in the world. I think, um, I think a lot of people are cheering for him now just because the way he carries himself, he's, he's such a down to earth guy. And it almost seems like golf is just, just a side thing for him. He's more concerned about the person he is and the way he treats people and just the way he goes about his life. So the the way he plays the game is just secondary for him and and it's incredible the way he does with the last 57 days he has his four wins and they're this first four wins of his career like you can't make that stuff up that's incredible golf and <laughs> i don't know it's it's never been seen before so we got the u.s open i think yeah yeah no yeah u.s open coming up and let me fact check myself Okay, well, while you're doing that, I'm just going to pick up hey. on that. And I, I want to say, too, I didn't realize, because he's a world number one, but I didn't realize there was only before this four world number ones that had won the Masters. Um, and I thought that was a unique stat because, you know, you you could argue the world number one would be the favorite, but uh, I guess it doesn't happen too often. So he was sick. And then do you, do you have your answer? Yeah, so it's the PGA Championship is in like 35 days or something, and okay. I read a I read a tweet yesterday that said the course it's at is at his favorite course that he's ever okay. played. So it could be another dangerous week for for the rest of the field. But no, I want to want to hear your thoughts too on uh, on your boy. He had a he had a good finishing. Yeah, he did. Um, Will Zalatoris, uh, I remember his name. So <laughs> yeah, no, he he had a good round on the Sunday, and he. Uh, he didn't get a lot of camera time though. Um, so you didn't see him too much, but, but just going back to Scotty, when he was walking from 17 to 18 through the big crowd guys, complete straight face, like the same face he had all tournament. Um, like he wasn't even phased. Like there was nothing until, until he was putting on 18 when you knew, okay. I, first, the first putt was a long putt, like missable for anybody. Then the mm-hmm. second one, like f- five footer, I, I had a feeling I said he was going to miss it just because like, dude, look at the moment. And he had room to miss it. Like there was margin for error, but there's so many people and he knows he's, he's got to hit this putt, which isn't even like a tap in necessarily. Um, and he missed that. And then he missed the next one, like a three footer. I was like, Oh, he's gonna, this is like crazy. So it, it ruined the moment a little bit. I'm not going to lie, but um, it was still, you know, it was, that was the first time he kind of showed like a little bit of nerves. I I would say. Um, yeah but uh it was sick man watching the the celebration what about tiger too any thoughts on on him i think it's hard for a guy who almost got his leg amputated less than a year ago or just around a year ago to no doubt. Yeah. play four rounds at augusta national and i think it kind of showed as as the week went on his rounds got progressively worse and worse so i think he's his game is still there he's the greatest of all time or arguably with Jack because he can still play and it's a miracle that he was out there. Um, but I think there's a lot of work to be done still a lot of consistency. He's not hitting it as far either. So I think he needs a, he needs a shorter, shorter course if he's going to win again um, to allow him to kind of attack pins more often. And, and his putting needs to sharpen up. You don't normally see tiger putt that poorly. And, uh, that's, I was that's gonna say, did round. you hear his quote on the on that the putting? No, the I forget the girl's name. The lady asked him, like, you know, what what happened today and all that on your round, and he was like, "Oh, I was hitting too many putts." Yeah, actually, I did see that. She goes, "So uh, what's it? Yeah, no, I just hit too many." I, it, he said it, it looked like I was at the putting green hitting a thousand putts. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it looks like uh, looks yeah. like Rask out there. No, I oh, I was just going to say that, man. My putting's atrocious. But y- y- I was saying this. Uh, I'll just wrap it up after I say this. I was, I play, last summer, I was playing mostly at Bathurst Glen, which, if, have you ever played that course? I have in a tournament. It's a par 64, isn't it? Yeah, and have you, the greens are, like, a rough at any other course. Like, you know, They're bad. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter the slope. It doesn't matter... And like you hit it straight, it's never gonna move, and you have to hammer it to like get it there. So I'm playing that all summer, and I go to any other course, and then you know I there's just no consistency with my putting. If I start, which this year I'm gonna start playing at better courses, and uh, I'm I'm gonna get the putting worked on because I won't be changing so drastically from course to course. Um, yeah, especially because there's no like putting green 
there and stuff like there's no warm-ups you just get out there and you're like getting a putt <laughs> and you can't get a read for it at all and like i don't know man but but so the, at that course i can putt well because it's always straight like yeah straight. i'm sure you would putt well at the masters <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, i would be hammered because you tap the ball at augusta dude i'm like oh he didn't even touch it and it's rolling 50 feet yeah it's ridiculous that's why uh that's why they're the best players in the world that uh arguably the best course in the world <laughs> yeah it's sick well we'll get a showbound showdown there maybe this summer <laughs> yeah probably we could probably hook that up with our connections yeah we'll we'll get grats out um mm-hmm. anyway you wanna you wanna take it away here yeah i mean i got a lot to report on the weather has been outstanding um as of late and no uh no different today we got a beautiful day with a high of 17 in barry ontario lots of sunshine through the day and it doesn't look like uh, we're gonna get any rain clouds so it's a perfect day for golf here and uh, a beautiful day for hockey as well and the rest of the week looks awesome leading into our easter weekend uh, so i hope everybody enjoys easter with their family um and yeah we'll see you next time